Hey everyone, this is Devin Boker, and you are listening to The Wildlife. And that was probably take 27 of trying to get the intro moderately okay this morning as I, I don't know, I'm distracted. I'm a little all over the place. I'm tired from a very, very long week. A very good week, but a very long week of of teaching. Plus, I keep laughing, and I'm, I'm really trying not to. My son said something yesterday that was really unintentionally funny. Like, he didn't mean it as a joke. It was an observation, genuine question. He says, why is Pac-Man so thirsty all the time and British? And I'm thinking to myself, what does that even what does it even mean? I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he says, he's always moving around like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and I, I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And so, yeah, anyway, anyway. All right. Why are we here? Last week, um, well, not last week, last time uh, we did a revisiting of the very first episode of the wildlife, the mystery of zebra stripes with Dr. Tim Caro of UC Davis as the guest. It was from January of 2017. And as I shared in this last episode, uh, it was an accident. It was never meant to be. The wildlife as a podcast was never meant to be, but such is life. You know, the big things that happen to us are usually not the things that we plan for. They're the things that fell into place or, or fell into our laps or that that were thrust upon us or that we thrust it in two. Um, okay. Um, and so the plan for this next episode, as I mentioned last time, was um, shark conservation with a very, very special guest. The very first guest since Jeff Corwin uh, back in February of 2022. Well, such is, uh, such is life. Um, that person, um, that guest is out and about in the field um, doing the very important work that they do and they have not yet had a chance to review the episode. And I always want, I, you know, if I have a guest on, I, I want them to have the opportunity to like listen to the finished product, you know, make sure they are comfortable with it and that, you know, they don't feel like anything they said was misconstrued or if they want to restate something or if, you know, whatever it might be. I, I like to give people that opportunity. And so I, I didn't want to post it without her having the chance to give it a listen. And so I'm giving that time and and hopefully it'll be relatively soon. But uh, you know what? This is the wildlife. Wildlife, life in general is about is about adaptation and, and flexibility. And so rather than having that new episode this week, we're just going to go ahead and bump up um, what was going to be the next next one, uh, a revisiting of the second ever episode of The Wildlife featuring a guest from March 6th of 2018. Myth Understood, Busting Bat Miz with naturalist and education coordinator from the Minnesota Zoo, at least at the time, I'm not quite sure where she is now, uh, Liz Dingate. It's informative, it's educational, it's right on time for spooky season, although I don't think that bats should only be associated with spooky season. I feel like you should be batty for bats at all times every of the times, all day, every day, bat day. Look at Batman. Batman is always batty for bats or something. I, I swear a fly just flew by the microphone and it picked it up. And so I'm going to be curious if it stays. Anyway, um, yeah, this was March 6th of 2018, which if you are, you know, observing, uh, January 2017 was the first episode. So we're over a year after the first accidental episode that the wildlife really decided, okay, well, I guess I decided, okay, let's really pick this up as a, as a thing, as a series, as something that we do. Um, 
We had a couple of episodes without guests before this. And when I say we, I mean my brother and I, because he used to do this, this with me. Um, a couple of different things. I think we talked about uh, Peacock Mantis Shrimp. Um, there, uh, the, the, the Christmas Island crab migration, um, a very lonely gannet, a, a type of, uh, seabird that had died named Nigel, <laughs> a number of things. Um, and then we got here now, this was called myth understood. And as you'll hear in the episode, there's just a couple of things to note. Um, we mentioned it was going to be the first in a series of myth understoods. That series never ended up happening. There's a number of those throughout the journey of the wildlife. Um, and I don't know, I'm thinking maybe revisiting that idea. Um, another thing you'll notice is uh, we have a special animal guest um, voiced by my wife, Chelsea. Uh, it, it was really silly. It was something we did on, I don't know, a handful of episodes where it was like we were personifying the animal and having them on as like a segment guest. Really, really silly, probably very annoying. And we ended up doing away with that at some point. Um, the other thing is animal sound of the week. When my brother was on the show, um, yeah, that's something that we did pretty much every single time we did animal sound of the week. So we would do an animal sound and the goal was that you would guess. And then the next week we would tell you what it was and people could win a prize. I think as far as guesses go, we only maybe had 12 <laughs> throughout the whole series of like trying to do that. So it was more about just doing it because we thought it was silly and fun. Um, and just kind of fun to try to make the different animal sounds, um, uh, then actual participation. So, you know, there's, there's that, I guess. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and, um, revisit. This is an old one. It, it always feels weird for me to, to go back and listen, and then I will catch up with you on the flip side in about, uh, yeah, 20 or so minutes. Okay, here we go. Belief. Belief is an interesting thing. Some of our beliefs are very close to our hearts, untouchable, unchangeable. Some of our beliefs are more flexible, changing if you have some kind of evidence or experience that can convince you otherwise. Belief can be harmless and belief can be harmful. Belief can be truth and it can be myth. This week, we're going off format in the first of an intermittent series we are calling Myth Understood. Like misunderstood. Get it? Play on words? In which we explore commonly believed myths about different misunderstood animals and examine the truth behind the legends. This week, we focus on an animal that has been victim of superstition and fear for thousands of years. Despite what many believe, these creatures are extremely important to our everyday lives. Dollar for dollar, they are worth more than Elon Musk. They hold secrets of aging, rejuvenate the rainforest, and they're the most essential ingredient of a margarita. Stick around. I'm Devin. I'm Richard. And this is The Wildlife, a new podcast from thewildlife.blog. And this week, we want you to forget what you believe. Before we begin, I want to paint a picture. Okay. I'll trust you to find some sound effects to fill in. Okay, uh, what, what is this? Be patient. It's a summer evening, and the sun is setting. The sky is alive with color. 
Silhouetted against the ambers and the blues, you see a bird flying spastically, like it is laughing really hard by maintaining its composure just enough to stay in flight. Okay, I, I think I'm there with you. You suspect that it's probably nabbing mosquitoes and other small bugs out of the sky. You walk by a streetlight outside and see a large moth swooping in and out of the light from the lamppost. But the truth is neither of these were what they seemed. Oh man, I think I know what it is. It's me! And, and who are you? I am a bat, and I just wanted to say I am so sick and tired of being misunderstood. Well, that's what we are here for. Yeah, we are hoping to help clean up your reputation. Well, good, because for some reason, people are always screaming when I come around. It's always, ah, a bat, ah, it's trying to get me, ah, it's got rabies, ah, it's probably Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz? Yeah, because he looks like a vampire. Listen, I don't care about your nasty hair. I'm just trying to eat the insects. They're flying all around your nasty. Look, my cousin Vinny got hit with a broom the other day, and while he was limping around, he got picked up by an animal control because some lady thought he was rabid. Oh, I'm so sorry. Why? Because? Richard, shut up. I will explain later. Okay, well, I've got to take off. Catch you later. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. I think a good place to start is listing out some of the biggest myths. Good idea. Um, let's see. Um, all bats have rabies. Bats drink blood. Bats are blind. Bats are pests. Oh, and that bats are rodents. Wait, I thought they were rodents. They are not rodents, actually. Who's that? That is the voice of Liz Dingate, a naturalist and coordinator of education programs at the Minnesota Zoo. I spoke with her a couple of days ago to help us bust some of these myths. Devin, have you ever seen Ada Ruins Everything? Yes. Okay. Because I, I love the way he talks about stuff and then like someone comes up and it's like a specialist and that's like what we just did. Smooth. So uh, why aren't bats considered rodents? Bats are mammals, but they aren't rodents. They belong in their own order. Order as in kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species? Right, I always remember that by uh, King Philip couldn't find green socks. Kings play chess on funny green squares. No Popeye's chicken offers free gizzard strips? No, but kangaroos punch children on family game shows. So what order do they belong in? So bats are in an order called Chiroptera. Chiroptera which literally translates to hand-wing. And there's about a thousand species or more in that order. Which means that over a fifth of the world's 5,000-ish mammals are bats. Okay, just bats? Yes, just bats. Most of them live in the tropics, particularly on the northern side of South America. But bats range across the globe pretty much everywhere except for the really cold places like the Arctic, Antarctic, and Northern Europe and Asia. Okay, so that, though, isn't so much a myth as just a misunderstanding or misclassification. Right, but that misclassification helps to play into people's fears and disgust with bats as a whole, right? And that's kind of a problem with misunderstanding rodents, too, when you think about it. 
true. There's just something about bats. There's so many negative things associated with them. Right. Like when I say bats, what's probably one of the first things you think of? Rabies. Right. But even that is not true. Right, Liz? It is not true. Um, yes, it's true that some bats might carry rabies, but it's extremely rare. Um, so I looked at the exact numbers, and according to the CDC, um, only 6% of the bats they've tested have rabies. So according to the CDC, out of all the bats that get turned in, every single bat that is suspected of having rabies that ends up getting tested, and then that information has to be reported to the CDC. Only 6% of those bats actually have rabies. Um, it is true that um, the most common way for humans to contract rabies is from a bat, but there's only about one case of rabies in humans every year in the entire United States. It's actually somewhere around 1% in total of the whole bat population that is suspected could have rabies. So everyone's running around cutting off bat heads for no reason. Yes, which is exactly why I didn't want you to mention it to that bat earlier. To test for rabies, you have to check the brain, which means the animal has to be dead. So her cousin Vinny is no longer with us. Yeah. And I should say, of course, if you ever get bit by any wild animal, you should seek some medical expertise. Better to be safe than sorry. But Speaking of removing the head... And rabies kind of brings us to vampires, naturally. There's even a thing called a vampire bat. But like when I was talking to Liz, she mentioned that vampire bats don't live here in America. Uh, we don't have those here. Uh, there's only three types of vampire bat. Yes, a vampire bat is a real thing. There are bats that do drink blood. Okay, However, I, I will add one more thing. So on the subject of vampire bats, there has been some research published lately that explains how, as a mammal, they're able to survive on a diet of complete 100% blood. It's a little gross, but it's also incredibly interesting. And I had the opportunity to speak with the researcher behind that, and we'll be talking with her on our episode next week. So we won't get into too much of it right now. Are bats really blind? Uh, so I, I think that, you know, the reason we have that saying blind as a bat is that it is true that a lot of bats have pretty poor vision. Um, so there are some species that can see as well as or even better than people. Especially when you pair that with the fact that they also have echolocation. Echolocation being making really high-pitched sounds. Those sound waves bounce back at you and it helps form a picture of your surroundings. So not all bats can echolocate, but um, many of them can. So if anything, they've got far superior vision to people. I don't know where the blind as a bat myth really came from. Is it because they fly around at night? Or because they look like they don't know where they're going when they fly? Why do bats fly so erratically? That's actually a really good question. I asked Liz, and she said, it partially has to do with the fact that they're echolocating and making micro-corrections to maybe catch tiny little flying gnats and things that we don't even see. And then partially it has to do with the fact that they're able to make those um, quick, abrupt micro-changes um, up or down or side to side much better than a bird can. It all has to do with that hand wing. 
Remember they're in the order Chiroptera, which means hand wing. Have you ever looked at a, a bat wing before? Yeah. And it, it's got, you can see like the bones that are the fingers, right? Just going all the way through the they're wing like and they have their, wings. you know, their little, right. And they've got their little thumbs sticking off the top. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it all has to do with that. See, a bird, one of the reasons it's able to fly is because their bones are really heavily fused. Not only that, but they're they're hollow and other things, but they're fused, which means less joints, almost less bone, which makes them light and kind of streamlines them for being able to fly, but for being able to fly in pretty much a straight line. Yeah, they can do some loops and some quick maneuvers and things here and there, but they've got really rigid skeletons compared to a bat. A bat is a mammal, and it doesn't have all of those fused bones. It still has all of its joints and things like that, which means that when it's flying, it can make incredibly detailed course corrections. Are bats at all aggressive? No, um, there's, there's really nothing to be afraid of as far as bats are concerned, unless you are a mosquito or a moth, and then you should be very afraid of Why do you think that people are afraid of bats? I don't know. I think movement. I don't know. I, that seems to be the source of freaking people out with a lot of different animals. The way they move, you know, think about a spider. Uh. Really, a spider, what's so creepy about a spider other than the way that it moves, right? It's almost like a when you see someone walking through a strobe light, like that kind of movement, it's really uncomfortable. I don't I don't think that the way bats move is the sole reason that people are afraid of them. It's probably you know, they live in caves in dark places, they make high pitched sounds, they fly in really big groups. People think they have rabies. I don't know, what do you think? I think a lot of it is the rabies. Because uh, people know how uh, people know how bad that disease can be, and how much it sucks to get a shot for it. Yeah, a lot of animals can carry a lot of very nasty things. I mean, look at armadillos running around with leopards. Yeah, this is a good opportunity. Maybe for a future one of these episodes, we can talk about possums. But did you know that possums, most of them, are naturally immune to rabies? Man, they're they're blamed for that a lot. Right. It's just, you know, another thing. They look kind of gross sometimes. I think they're cute. But it's just another example of being afraid of something for really no reason. You know, once once you realize they're not actually carrying all of these diseases and things, uh, there's not so much to worry about, right? Right. How long do bats live for? Bats... Okay, okay. Let me ask you this. When you think about small mammals, do you think they live for a long time or a short period of time? Short time. Right, like mice and squirrels and things, right? Like a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah at most. At most, that's what you would think. Bats, on the other hand, including the little brown bat, they can live for something like 35, 40 years. Holy crap. Yeah. That, that's an insane amount of time. But what's even cooler is... Um, so one little bat that weighs less than an ounce can eat over a thousand insects every hour. Really uh, making it a lot better to camp. Okay. One bat, one single bat, can eat 1,000 
mosquitoes or mosquito-sized insects in a single hour. One single bat eating that much, let's say something like four hours a night over the course of that long lifespan, you're talking upwards of 40 million insects in the lifetime of one bat. That's, that's going to like play a crucial role in saving people's crops. Right. Even better, let's say you have a colony of 5,000 bats. That's 219 billion mosquitoes in a, in a lifetime. That sounds like a good percent of the world's mosquitoes. Did you know that due to the pest control ability of a bat, bats are calculated to save farmers somewhere around $22 billion a year? That's going back to the Elon Musk thing from earlier. Elon Musk is worth something like $20 billion. Bats save more than the worth of Elon Musk for farmers a year, just from pest control. That's not including any of the other multitude of things that bats are good for. Like They're actually really important pollinators in tropical areas. So tropical bats pollinate things like bananas and mangoes and figs and cashew plants. And are responsible for spreading over 95% of the seeds responsible for, for rejuvenating the rainforest. Uh, they also pollinate agave. So every time you drink some margarita, that is thanks to a bat somewhere. Right. Think about a Bacardi bottle. It's got a bat on there. Without bats, we would have no tequila, no margaritas. No! What threats are bats facing? Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, like many other species out there, um, they're facing a lot of threats depending on where they live in the world. Um, climate change is affecting bats. Probably the biggest threat um, just because it's so all-encompassing right it, it it changes the the forest landscape it changes uh, hibernation duration it changes the number and type of insects that are prevalent deforestation is one of the driving causes of climate change not all bats live in caves many live in trees or under leaves especially in the rainforest inside of other types of flowers all sorts of things uh, without that habitat, um, bats are on the decline. Um, in different parts of the world, um, activities like guano mining or um, even hunting bats for bushmeat can be a problem. Uh, but the biggest problem here in the United States is a fungus called white-nose syndrome. One of the biggest threats, especially here in North America, is it was only first documented in North America back in 2007. And that was in the state of New York. Since then, it has made its way to 27 states and five provinces in Canada and has killed at least 5.7 million bats. And that number is rising. White nose syndrome, it's a fuzzy white growth. It's fungus that grows around the nose, you know, on the face of the bats. And essentially what will happen is, for some reason, it speeds up their metabolism. And so while they're in hibernation in, in caves, it's easy for all of this to grow because, well, they're, they're hibernating, they're not grooming, right? They're not cleaning themselves because um, they're asleep. <laughs> uh, it brings up their metabolism, and then one of two things can happen. 
either it causes them to burn through all of their calories and they die of starvation while in hibernation, or it wakes them up. And when they wake up, they're hungry, they leave the cave looking for food, and which is insects, and it's winter, and there are no bugs, and if they don't die from the cold, they die of hunger. Pretty much it's something like 90 to 100% mortality in bats. And it's really, really prevalent at these hibernation sites. They're, they're mammals, they hibernate, especially in caves. And if they get this, sometimes if, if a researcher or someone who's monitoring a cave you know, finds it, they can, they can do something. Sometimes they can do something to remove the, the growth from the face, but it's a fungus, so it's spread by spores, which are very small and can accumulate a lot before they start really showing. So even if you think you've gotten all of it off, it may still appear later on. Because white nose syndrome is such a complicated issue, and it impacts, like we said, 27 states and five Canadian provinces, we will include more information about that as well as several links um, in our blog posts associated with this podcast, um, just to give you some more information. Try to imagine how different culture would be without bats. It's it's hard to think about. Yeah, they're part of Halloween, part of the whole vampire thing. Who isn't into vampires now? Right, right. There's 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 all sorts of stories and fables going back thousands of years. Well, take Batman. Batman, like, how <laughs> how different would the world be if we didn't have Batman? Uh, not not that it would be crazy different or anything like that, but it's it's definitely you know that the character has had an influence on culture. If bats weren't around or didn't exist, we wouldn't have any of that. We no tequila. Uh, who knows if the rainforest would have would have lasted as long as it has. Um, the, the world would be a different place. Definitely a much buggier place. I think that a certain line from 2008's A Dark Knight probably could be representative of bats as well. Don't you? What's, what's the line? Commissioner yeah. Gordon, ending speech, a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. Huh? It applies to bats. And now for the animal sound of the week. Last time, a dolphin, which also echolocate just like bats. So it's a tie-in. <laughs> This week is a new animal sound of the week. Okay, so unfortunately because it is a revisiting and we had different things that we were doing at the end, there's really no like natural way to cut in, I guess, to do this part. But um, yeah, that was that was the second ever episode of The Wildlife. And um, yeah, there's a lot of it that's very silly. The tone is a bit different. And, uh, you know, but, but overall message is the same. Those, those numbers, they remain relevant. Um, those facts, they remain true. The myths remain myths. 
bats are not something to be feared, but to be revered. And so honestly, I just I just hope that that next time you see a bat or you think about bats, I, I know that for some, they are creepy, right? Like there's some people who are very much creeped out by bats, especially the large ones or the idea of them swooping around their, their head or something. But at least maybe appreciating the role that they do have in supporting ecosystems around the world, um, supporting our, our food, uh, sometimes the, just the things that we like to, um, on occasion, uh, drink. Um, bats are vital. Bats are mammals, not, not birds. Like for some reason, a lot of people on the internet think they are, they are so mammal. They make up 20% of mammals. I mean, that's still, still to this day is mind blowing to me. And there's all kinds of things that you can do to support bats. You can have bat houses. You can donate to bat conservation groups, um, especially, you know, things related to uh, white nose fungus or white nose syndrome. There's a lot of work being done there that you can contribute to. It, it's hard sometimes when you, when you hear about a plight that is facing a wild animal or a group of animals or, or a habitat and you, and you want to do something, you want to help. And sometimes the honest answer is your financial contributions are going to be, you know, probably one of the biggest things that you can do because you're supporting the work of those who know exactly what to do next, right? You don't have to figure out the steps. There are people who already have, they just need the support in getting that work done. And so, of course, uh, that's, that's where you can come in, right? Now, if you would like to support the work of the wildlife, this, this show, the continued efforts to get um, new and varied voices onto the show to, to showcase you know work being done with wildlife as, as well as wildlives around the world, you can do that at patreon.com slash the wildlife for, I think, as little as a dollar a month, which you know is like 12 bucks a year because there's 12 months in a year. So yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's different things that can come with that, different little bonuses and things, but overall, my undying appreciation, um, because I, I literally cannot do this without, without y'all, without y'all listening, without, without additional support, um, in terms of being able to keep the website going, the podcast hosting platform going, the, the, the platform I use to be able to conduct these interviews with people around the world. I, I, I cannot do that without, well, I have for a long time, but it makes it easier uh, for sure when I have when I have that support. And just know that if you do ever make that decision to contribute, I I genuinely sometimes I, I open up the Patreon and I look and I just I this sounds so cheesy, I know, but I, I get emotional. I'm just so grateful that there are people out there who who believe in what I'm trying to do and, and support it and think that it's worthwhile. And, um, that's all I could really ask for, honestly. So, um, as far as plan, uh, for next week or moving forward, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, 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 fingers crossed, both hands and toes, um, that we'll have the guest episode, um, about shark conservation coming out next week. If not, um, if I don't hear back in the next couple of days from that guest, I'm going to work on finishing up the editing for the next guest and then see if I can get a quick turnaround 
there to have that out. So there's a couple of different possibilities of what the episode will be next week. I'm not going to say them yet because just I don't want you to hold me to it quite yet. So that's it. That's it. That's all. And um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being you. Just remember to to stay curious, chase that curiosity, go outside, ask questions, be the wonderful people that you are. And um, peace out, Rainbow Trouts. <laughs>